Amen, amen. Well, that's where we are. We're right in the middle, kind of coming down the home stretch of our series, Don't Be Dumb. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've done plenty of dumb things. And I've said, next time, I won't do that. And I love that uh, little intro video and how it makes that connection that the Bible gives us the wisdom that we need uh, to not have to say, well, next time, if we look ahead, plan ahead, think ahead, and seek to be wise, um, we can avoid many of the dumb things that we might otherwise do. Uh, So throughout the series, we've been taking what I would say a fun or humorous take on some very serious subjects. And uh, we've looked at things like our relationships, our friendships, and how those matter, our words, how our words matter, which are two really big subjects in the book of Proverbs, as is the subject that we will be looking at today. And uh, we've talked about the importance of seeking wisdom, that our intention and our attention in regards to digging deep into God's wisdom is rewarded with wise living and sidestepping a lot of painful mistakes and painful situations uh, and the ramifications of them. We've talked about the importance of walking with the wise, that he who walks with the wise becomes wise. So who we surround ourselves with matters. And that the wise watch their words. The wise watch their words. So today, uh, we're looking at uh, this idea of don't touch the buffalo. And I got a chuckle out of uh, Zach sharing, you know, his traffic jam with the buffalo in the welcome and the announcements. And uh, that vacation um, was planned months in advance. This series was planned months in advance, and yet they happened to coincide um, really, really well. And uh, as we talk about this idea titled, Don't Touch the Buffalo, we're really talking about temptation. We're talking about temptation, which uh, appears in a variety of different forms, doesn't it? Uh, I think the big three most sociologists have, have settled on, and religious uh, people as well, would group most temptation, most sin, into money, sex, and power. That if you could just deal effectively with those three temptations and all the sins and temptations that go with them, you would probably take care of about 98% of all sin. It lands in one of those three categories. Um, But they all represent sin in general. And we'll be talking about a few specific sins, but also be looking at uh, at sin in general. And so when we talk about the temptation to sin, we're talking about things like that make their way onto the list of, uh, of the Ten Commandments, things like dishonesty, deceit, the appetites of the flesh, uh, violence, those types of things. And what's interesting about this is that some temptations are stronger for one person in one area than they are for another person in another area. And so uh, believers, non-believers alike may struggle in one area, whereas somebody else doesn't struggle in that area at all, but they struggle in a different area. And some of that has to do with temperament. Some of that has to do with how we were raised and and things maybe that happened to us. Um, But as we talk about temptation, uh, I think this will be really, really helpful in, in helping us think about how we can overcome Temptation. Now, you might be curious on the title. Why did he title the message, Don't Touch the Buffalo? That just seems like kind of a weird, a weird thing. Well, there's a connection for me anyway, because I worked, I, I grew up in Newcastle, Wyoming, which is about 10 miles uh, into Wyoming from the South Dakota border. So right on the edge of the Black Hills. 
And we spent a lot of time growing up in the Black Hills. And then when I was uh, working summer jobs in high school and college, I worked a couple of summers at a tourist attraction there where we gave tours. And we would often uh, ask if there were any questions or answers about anything at all. Boy, this is really kind of, I don't know if I need to adjust it, maybe move it up a little bit, let it ride. They're telling me let it ride. Okay. So, um, so one of the tours... Somebody asked, what are dangaroos? And I thought it was a joke, so I kind of smiled. I'm like, what are dangaroos? What are, you, what are you talking about? I think maybe the joke was on me. And I said, well, you know, dangaroos. There's all these signs that say buffalo or dangaroos. And I thought, okay, I've seen these signs. And I was trying to be diplomatic because we worked for tips somewhat. And so I said, oh, you know what? Around here, we pronounce that word Dangerous not dangaroos. And it was like a light bulb went off for, for the person. They're like, oh, yeah, I get it. Don't approach them. They're very dangerous. And it's kind of a good analogy for sin. It would, you know, out in Wyoming, this is from Yellowstone, the second one, they are much more graphic in their, in their signs. And there are t-shirts that you can buy that say, you know what, buffalo, you don't want anything to do with them. Many visitors have been gored by buffalo. And if you come from a far off place, you could see this buffalo. And I suppose it's possible if you had just been to a petting zoo, you might think it was safe to approach a buffalo and touch, touch the buffalo. But it's not. Buffalo are dangerous. They are very dangerous. And that's a good analogy with temptation because oftentimes uh, temptation presents sin as something soft or furry or fluffy or pleasant that you could go up and touch and it wouldn't really hurt you. And yet, it, it's not something you want to trifle with. So, we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 5. If you want to turn there, it's on page 990 for those of you who are in the room. Um, and Proverbs chapter 5, before we dive into that, there's a kind of a dumb little story that goes with it, sort of a funny story. I have a friend back in Casper who uh, went off to college at a Christian university, and he was pre-med, but everybody at this particular Christian university had to take a Bible survey course. And uh, so his freshman year, he sits down in the Bible survey course, and uh, he, oh, here comes the microphone. Do it old school today. If I get to going, some of you will be really excited about that. You know, you put the mic in the hand, it, it, it feels a little different. So anyway, he sits down in this Bible survey course, and there's a thing he's supposed to fill out and turn in for a grade before he leaves the first day, just so the pastor would, or the teacher would get to know him a little bit better. And it's, you know, tell me a little bit about your story and those types of things and, and where you're from and everything. And the last question on the little sheet was, what was the first scripture that you memorized? Well, at this point, he's running out of time and he's thinking, he's, he just writes down Proverbs 5.3, turns it in. Now, he was thinking of Proverbs 3.5, which many of you probably memorized at some point. Maybe it was the first scripture you memorized. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Very good advice. Well, he gets the paper back the next time he comes in and the teacher had wrote, hmm, dot, 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 interesting, period. That's a first, exclamation point. And so he he just caught his breath. You know, his heart starts racing. He opens up his Bible, and he looks at Proverbs 5.3 and says, For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, 
and her speech is smoother than oil. And he had just told his Bible teacher that that was the first verse that he had ever memorized. And, of course, he went up after class and explained, it was actually Proverbs 3, 5, I promise. And, of course, he understood and probably imagined that that was a, a simple mistake that had been made. And, uh, and so that kind of sets up our passage today. Let me read it to you from Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Here's what it says. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and that your lips may preserve knowledge. This is a fairly uh, broad opening and the context is essentially that Solomon would be writing to his son or his sons, to his children, and trying to push them in the right direction, steer them in the right direction. Then it gets a little bit more specific. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life, and her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. And so that's the specific warning against adultery. And then it gets a little broader again. And there's broader principles that apply here in verse 7 and 8. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her or far from sin. Do not go near the door of her house. And so while this is dealing specifically with adultery and sexual temptation, uh, there's a broader application to all of this. And that really leads into our, our topic today, that that you have a heavenly father who is wanting you to, to be wise, to make wise decisions, to steer clear of sin in its various forms. And verse 8 is a really powerful principle. Keep a path far from her. Keep a path far from sin. Don't go there. Don't get close. And it's a principle that's restated more broadly later on in Proverbs, and that's our our. our sort of key verse today is Proverbs 22, verse 3. And it'll be on the screen behind me, or you can turn to it in your Bible. It says, A prudent man or a prudent woman, a prudent person, sees danger and takes refuge. But the simple keep going and suffer for it. And so in Proverbs, the simple can refer to the foolish, the unwise, uh, those that don't have wisdom, don't have sense. And so there's a contrast here, as is often the case, as we've seen as we've been looking at Proverbs, that, that the wise see trouble coming. They see danger on the horizon. And they don't say, I wonder how close I can get to that without actually getting in trouble. Instead, they take refuge. They turn aside. They go a different direction altogether. But the simple see it and keep going and say, well, maybe I won't fall in the hole. Maybe I'll skirt around the outside. Maybe I'll be okay. Maybe it won't really be that bad. Maybe the person that warned me really didn't understand. And so I can, I can, I'll probably be fine. I'll probably be okay. And that's our bottom line today. The wise flee from sin. They don't flirt with it. The wise flee from sin. They don't, they don't flirt with it. They don't see how close they can get. And I've got a little video that's going to play, and it doesn't have any audio. I'm just going to kind of narrate it. Um, it's, it's, it's somewhat humorous. Don't worry. If you're really nervous, it's going to turn out okay. Um, but we'll play the video now, and uh, it really fits with our theme uh, very, very well. And, and so this is from Yellowstone a few years ago. And 
that is a live buffalo, weighs about as much as a small car. And these are people that are crossing in the path in front of it. And then he finally charges. And the little dude just barely makes it. It's a good thing he went in a circle. If he'd have gone in a straight line, he wouldn't have turned out nearly as well. And this is what sin does, doesn't it? It kind of lures you into thinking, well, it's okay. I can touch the buffalo. There's also a picture of a van that touched a buffalo. Uh, I won't tell you whose van. It wasn't mine. It was a van I used to know. And it touched a buffalo. And that's what could happen if you touch the buffalo. And that's what often does happen if you touch the buffalo. You see, the wise, they flee from sin. They don't flirt with it. They see the buffalo and they stay back. They don't see how close they can get to the buffalo. They see how close they can get to God instead. And by getting as close as possible to God, they stay as far away from, as possible from the sin that they might be tempted to do. And really understanding this has to do with the principle of hurt and harm. Maybe I've explained this before, but if you were to take your hand out in front of you and slap it with the other hand, somebody want to do that, maybe demonstrate? Slap it hard, loud enough that we could hear it. Somebody did it back there. It was bold enough. Thank you. It hurts a little, doesn't it? But it didn't harm the hand, did it? You feel it. There's a little bit of pain that goes with that, but it'll be gone in a few seconds. Now, you do that with a hammer, and suddenly you've done harm to the hand. It both hurts and harms. And the reason that this is important is because sin doesn't always hurt at first, right? It doesn't always hurt at first. In fact, a lot of sin is pretty enjoyable at first, but it is always doing harm even if it doesn't hurt at first. It's always doing harm. You see, temptation promises pleasure, but delivers pain in its place. Eventually, there will always be pain. There will always be harm taking place. It's always doing harm. And there really are no neutral sins as much as as your enemy would like you to believe. Oh, this one's pretty neutral. It's really not going to hurt you. It hurts some people, but it doesn't hurt you. It, It harms some people, but it doesn't harm you. And so whatever sin may be... You have an enemy who wants to convince you, well, this one's not going to hurt you. It's not going to harm you. It might harm somebody else. But sin is always doing harm. There are no neutral sins. It's always doing damage. It's always harming you, and it's probably harming others. It's probably harming relationships that you have. It's probably harming your relationship with God, and it's probably harming people who depend on you or look to you for influence. And so James uh, chapter 1, James, uh, you know, I've referenced James a lot in this series because James is essentially the New Testament book of wisdom. In fact, most Bible scholars put James in with the other wisdom literature uh, as, as it pertains to the different genres in Scripture. And in James 1, uh, he tells us something, he gives us some really good advice for when we are tempted and we have to understand that, that there is an enemy who is tempting us. That temptation is not just happenstance. You have an enemy. He is the enemy of your soul. He wants to separate you from God forever. And so he tempts you in various ways, knowing that sin will damage you, your relationship with others, and your relationship with God. And so James writes, when we are tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. 
And I want to just pause right there. Can you imagine the Holy Spirit ever leading you to that conclusion? That when you're tempted, if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would say, oh, you know, it's probably just God tempting you. The Holy Spirit would never lead you in that direction, which means that his enemy, which is also your enemy, is the one that would plant that thought in your mind. So no one should ever say, God is tempting me, because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So there's sort of an analogy here of conception, birth, maturity, and then death. And it's not a progression you want anything to do with. And so nipping it in the bud, aborting the sinful desire is the solution. It's to get away from sin and to pursue God and to pursue his will and his ways. Because sin is always from Satan. And it always brings a separation into our lives. It separates you from God. It separates you from the best version of yourself. And it separates you from others. It brings a break to the relationship in one way or another, in one of those relationships, and possibly more. And that is why God says, don't do it. Because nobody wins with sin. There are no winners. When we choose, when we give in to the temptation, and we do not stand against it and resist that temptation. Nobody wins with sin. And Satan wants you to think that God is against joy and happiness and fun and pleasure. He really isn't. In fact, all of them are possible without sinning. But Satan doesn't want you to know that. And a key passage to study this week for sort of some extra credit would be the first 16 verses of John chapter 10. If you want to write that in the margin of your notes or write that in the margin of your Bible here and and come back and revisit that. It talks about Jesus being a good shepherd. And laying down his life for you. And contrasting that with the enemy of your soul who is a liar and a thief from the very beginning. And a murderer. And he wants nothing but your destruction. And so contrast the two. And and we have the option over and over and over when presented with a temptation to sin. To choose to follow the good shepherd who would lay down his life for us. Rather than to follow his enemy who is trying to take life from us to lie and steal and kill and destroy. And so be aware that you have an enemy. Be aware that when temptation comes, it's not coming out of the blue. It's not, it's not random. It's strategic. And the more you overcome the temptation, the weaker it gets. The more you give into it, the stronger it gets. And so I want to finish with three thoughts on resisting temptation. Three thoughts that you might want to jot down uh, if you're struggling with temptation in some way, or maybe you know somebody who is, and you can maybe pre-preach this message to them a little bit. The first one is really simple. Don't go there. (laughs) It, it, It falls right in line with our bottom line. The wise flee from sin. They steer clear. They avoid it. They stay away from sin. They don't flirt with it. They don't see how close they can get to it. They see how far away they can get from it and how close they can get from God. And so we don't go there. We don't go there physically. We don't go there mentally. We don't go there relationally. And we don't go there spiritually. 
And I was thinking about this, and I remember when I first came to Christ and, and really began a relationship with Jesus Christ, it was, it was in the early 2000s, and we started listening to K-Love um, and, because we needed something positive and encouraging. And I remember there was a song that was played often at that time from the band Avalon. How many of you were Avalon fans back in the day, 20 years ago? I see a few hands going up. Yep. Avalon had this song that said, I don't want to go somewhere if I know that you're not there. Because I know the me without you is a lie. That was sort of the chorus of that song. And I remember that idea. And there were places that I was still going physically or spiritually or mentally that I didn't want to go anymore. I knew God wasn't in those places. And so it helped kind of steer me away from those. And when you think about mentally in particular, see, mentally, you know, indulging sin, indulging lust, indulging, uh, you know, deception of some sort is such a Nobody else really sees it, usually. But God does. And so we have to put these mental boundaries as well, that we don't indulge sin in our mind. We don't indulge fantasies that, that God is not a part of. That, and Matt Chandler puts it this way, your private thoughts are public to the only one who really matters. That your private thoughts that nobody else can see, they're public. They're front-page news to the only one who really matters. And so we don't hide anything from God. And that's why James, again, speaks so clearly into this in James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's talking about repentance. That's talking about cleansing. That's talking about pursuing holiness, drawing near to God, seeing how close we can get to God instead of sort of flirting with sin and flirting with temptation, seeing how close we can get to that without actually sinning. And if that verse sounds familiar, we just talked about it in the, the Heart of a Disciple series, that, that the heart of a disciple is undivided. It's as close to God as it can possibly get. It's not drawn away, pulled away from God by sin. The second, the second thought or the second uh, idea when resisting temptation is to choose wisely, to make the wise decision, to not make a foolish decision. I was part of a leadership conference this week and was watching, and somebody was talking about the concept of laddering up, that sometimes we know what we need to do, and we're just having a hard time getting started. And she talked about the idea of laddering up. And so laddering up says, I know I need to do this. What's the best possible solution or the best possible outcome if I do that? And so I thought of running. You know, sometimes it's early in the morning and I've planned to go for a run and yet I'm sitting in my chair and it's nice and it's comfortable and I'm thinking I'd rather just have a second cup of coffee. But if I were to ladder up with that idea, I would say, well, if I were to go for the run, what's the best possible solution or the best possible outcome of going for the run? Well, I'll be healthier. I'll keep the momentum that I have. I'll keep the weight that I've lost off. I'll, I'll have more energy. I'll probably have a better day. Everything seems to go better when I get the run in early. Okay, so you have a better day. What's the best possible outcome of, of having a better day? Well, I'll accomplish more, and I'll keep the momentum, and I'll probably go for the run tomorrow. And, and you just keep asking that question until you get to the very top of the ladder where I'm able to be in ministry with full energy and vitality for, for decades longer because I make my health a priority. That's just one small example. And I was thinking about that example of laddering up, and I thought, you know, when it comes to sin and temptation, there's a lot of value in laddering down. 
to, instead of saying what's the best possible outcome, which is what Satan wants us to do with that sin or that temptation, we ladder down. We say, what's the worst possible outcome that could come from this sin that I'm being tempted to do? That website that I'm tempted to go to or that inappropriate conversation I'm tempted to have with somebody at work or, or that second cheeseburger that I know I really don't need. What's the worst possible outcome? And you answer that question and then you say, okay, what's the worst possible outcome of that? And, and you end up, you know, if it's a, a sexual temptation, maybe you end up with divorce and losing your family and, and, and a generational legacy that you want nothing to do with. Or if it's food, you know, it's gluttony and poor health and, and all of these things. And you just keep asking that question to make the sin as unappealing as possible. And what that helps you to do, what that helps you to clarify It helps you to choose wisely, to choose what you value most over what you want now. Because the enemy is going to tempt you around what you want now and minimize the consequences of that. But if instead you can draw yourself back to what do I value most and maximize the consequences of the sin, it makes it a lot easier to choose wisely, to choose what you value most over what you want now. And I've used this illustration before, um, but there's a rope here on stage, and it goes off stage. And the rope represents your life. Every single one of you and everybody watching online is an eternal being. You have a start right here, and your life will go on for eternity. That's why it just goes off stage. It goes on for eternity. We are all eternal beings. We will spend eternity somewhere at the end of this brief little span of our lives. And if we don't keep an eternal perspective, then we make decisions based on just this little section of the rope. Instead of choosing wisely for eternity, choosing wisely with a an eternal perspective, choosing wisely for the legacy that we will leave to our children and to those that we love. And so when you think about this, you think about we get so focused on the rope, on the, the, the taped part, on this part that we can see, this part that represents our life. And so it's like, okay, you know, this rope goes for eternity in that direction, but I'm so focused. It's like, okay, I'm going to graduate high school here, and I'm going to get married here, and I'm going to have kids here, and I'm going to work through here. And if I'm fortunate, then this last little quarter of an inch will be a happy and enjoyable retirement. Never thinking about the eternity that stretches out from that. And when temptation comes, it gets you to focus just on the tiniest little bit right here. This is what I want now. So I'm going to do it now. And we forget about the eternity that stretches on. And so, choose wisely. Choose what you value most over what you want now. And lastly, fix your eyes on Jesus. This, this could have been all three, honestly. All three steps, all three thoughts. Fix your eyes on Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus. Because where you look is where you go. We're all like toddlers learning to ride our bikes, right? They're looking straight. They're going straight. They turn and say, look, Dad, I'm going. And then they're turning as they, whatever direction they've looked. We're just the same. When we focus on Jesus, when we look on Jesus, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we move toward Jesus. 
But when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we look over here or we look over there, then we start to move over there. And as we move over there, we are moving away from Jesus. We want to fix our eyes on Jesus because where we look, there we will go. I was reminded of the old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Look Full in His Wonderful Face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. You see, what you, what you focus on expands. I talked about this in the, the devotional that I put on the bottom of the Friday emails. Uh, it's this idea that wh- whatever you focus on expands, and whatever you fail to give attention to starts to shrink. And so if we're focused on Jesus, he expands in our lives. We're focused on him, on his word, on, on serving, on, on living out the Christian life. Those things will expand in our lives. If we're focused on something other than that, that thing will expand. If we're focused on faith and courage and hope, it expands. If we're focused on fear and anxiety and despair, those things will expand. And they pull our eyes away from Jesus. They pull our attention away from him. And so we fix our eyes on Jesus, Jesus who is the word made flesh. Jesus who was tempted in every way and yet did not sin. We fix our eyes on him. And we fix our eyes on his word. And I say that because he is his word. They are one. John 1 tells us that the word became flesh and dwelled among us in the person of Jesus. He was God with us. He was the pre-incarnate word of God made into flesh to live and dwell among us. And you know what Jesus did when he was tempted? Read Matthew chapter 3 known as the temptation of Christ, where Satan comes and visits Jesus. After he'd been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he tempts him with food. What does Jesus do? He quotes scripture. And then he tempts him with power. And what does he do? He quotes scripture. And he tempts him to test God, to test God's love for him. And what does Jesus do? He quotes scripture. The more this that is in here, the stronger we will be against temptation. The more we fix our eyes on Jesus and on his word, the stronger we will be against temptation. And the more we will be able to withstand temptation. That's why the writer of Hebrews said this, and it's such a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, people are watching, right? People are watching believers. They're watching you. People you know, people you don't know, they're all watching. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance The race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, now seated at the right hand of God. Don't miss verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. You face opposition from our common enemy, Satan, the devil, the one who is trying to bring us down. We face opposition from him, but if we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author who not only spoke our faith into being, but the perfecter, the one who will perfect it as we keep our eyes fixed on him, then we will overcome the temptation and we will endure. We will raise up and endure and not give in and not grow weary and not 
lose heart. I want to close with a, a quote from Dallas Willard. I quote Dallas Willard often. Uh, if you've never read anything of Dallas Willard's, I highly recommend just about everything he's ever written. Um, but he said it this way, and I love this. This just puts a bow on the whole message. The surest guarantee against falling into temptation is to be so at peace and satisfied with God that when wrongdoing presents itself, it isn't even interesting. That's the goal. That's the goal of the Christian life. That's the goal of holiness. Is that we would be so at peace and so at home and so satisfied with God that when the wrongdoing presents itself, when Satan tries to tempt us, it's not even interesting. It doesn't even get a second thought. And if you're lucky, you know somebody like that. You know somebody like that. I call them deep water people. They just have deep, deep water spirits. And they're not drawn away. They're not tempted by wrongdoing. They're not tempted to gossip. They're not tempted to to look at things that they shouldn't or to go places that they shouldn't or to do things that they shouldn't. It's not even interesting. It's not doesn't, doesn't catch a second glance because they're so at peace and so satisfied with God. And so the question is where where are your eyes fixed? Is it on the thing that's tempting you? Are you focused on that? Is it on the the little inch of the rope that represents our life? Or are our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith? I would imagine those listening could fall into three categories. Those that, that don't know Jesus, that don't have a personal relationship with him. And I would encourage you to fix your eyes on him today. Move towards him today. Maybe that means accepting the gift of salvation today. Becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. Saying, Lord, I am a sinner. I have fallen to temptation over and over again. It has caused separation between me and you. Between me and my best self. Between me and the relationships that I have here on earth. And I repent of that sin. And I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me. And to lead me in your ways. According to your will. Fix your eyes on Jesus today. Maybe there's a second group, those that that know Jesus and they've accepted him as Lord and Savior, but they struggle with sin. They struggle with sin, maybe a specific sin, maybe sin in general. And I would encourage you to fix your eyes on him anew and afresh today. Get into the word. Spend time in the word every single day. Get to know Jesus. Start in the gospels and get to know this person who loved you and gave himself for you. Coming up in September, our Banding Together journals will be moving into the Gospels again. This would be a phenomenal time to get involved. You can start right now. You can start reading Proverbs. Read a chapter or two of Proverbs every day through the rest of the month. And then get involved in a Banding Together group, a disciple-making group. If you are interested in that, let me know. I will help you. I'll connect you with a group or we'll find another leader to start a group. And you can spend time getting to know what God's word says. It shows us his will for us. It shows us his heart and his character. And maybe there's a third group. Maybe there's a third group where you're like, praise the Lord. I know Jesus. I'm strong against temptation. I am, I am so at peace and satisfied with God that when wrongdoing presents itself, it's not that interesting to me. And if, it's that, if that's you, you need to share that gift with somebody else. You need to come alongside somebody else and help them. 
somebody in the first group or somebody in the second group. So let me help you. Let's, let's walk together. You don't have to be a sage on a stage. You can be a guide by the side. You can come alongside somebody else and you can ask some questions and you can answer some questions and you can read the word together and you can dig into that together and you can help somebody grow strong in Christ and help somebody start to overcome temptation. Help somebody who's maybe struggling in an area to overcome that area of sin. And stay fixed. Stay fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes Jesus. So wherever you are, I pray that the Spirit of God is speaking to you right now and encouraging you to take a step. Every person in this room, every person watching this online has a next step to take. And my hope and prayer as always is that you will take that step in faith, that you will respond in faith to the Word of God, to the Spirit of God right now. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for perfect example for us, for being that perfect author and perfecter of our faith. We ask you to encourage us, to speak to us, to draw us closer to yourself. We pray, Lord, that that we would be a people who respond in faith to your word. If there is one who is listening and doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray, God, that today would be the day of salvation, or today would be a day where they take a step closer to you. For those who know you but still struggle with temptation and, and maybe are in bondage in some way to some sin, may you break every chain as they fix their eyes on you. And for those who who know you and are so at peace home and satisfied in you. The temptation isn't that appealing. God, help us to be the ones that go back and to take someone by the hand and to help them to make disciples who make disciples. This is our prayer in Jesus' name.